Hello, welcome to Conversations at the Whole Note on this 22nd day of March 2017 with uh, winter trying to take one last kick at the can. And uh, my guest today is Daniel Taylor. I'd have previously said countertenor Daniel Taylor, but there's more than one string to the bow at this nice. point. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you again. And um, all kinds of things I want to try and touch on in this. Yes. Um, some past, some looking ahead. Um, I made the mistake of, of going to your website to say, well, I'll just look at the discography. Oh. And uh, the first sentence said, more than 100 recordings, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> astounding. Yeah. Um, it's one of the more recent ones that was one of the reasons for this chat at this time, yes. because your um, 4,000 winter, yes. right? Yes. Which yes. you recorded with um, Trinity Singers. The Trinity Choir. Trinity Choir. Uh, which consists first of uh, between 10 and 12 Canadian singers. Yeah. Primarily from Ontario and Quebec. Mm -hmm. Some are students at the University of Toronto mm -hmm. or graduates. And then, um, well, we traveled to England. We did mm -hmm. a concert tour. And joining us then were members from the Talis Scholars, right. the Gabrielli Consort, and the Monteverdi Choir. Wow. Yeah, three, three choirs uh, with whom I've performed as a soloist, uh, well, for the last 15 years now, mm -hmm. I think. And um, people I've met, I'd met all, all along the way who I felt had a well-shared a certain appreciation, a certain way of listening to mm -hmm. um, what I think is beauty. Mm -hmm. So I asked them if they'd come together. Now, I have to admit that it was really experimental. I, the, all of our singers hadn't worked together. The 10 of mine had in one or 12 in one uh, way or another. Um, and then the, the British singers had, had worked together, but not all in one group. They really mm -hmm. have their separate assignments. And so I brought them together for a few days of rehearsal we did some concerts and then we we arrived at um at the church at uh, kilburn in london mm -hmm. and we started then to record and i remember i was quite um apprehensive because i just didn't know if what i'd imagined could actually happen mm -hmm. which was the idea in my mind of bringing the sensitivity that some of our north american singers have uh to uh, a different approach, but one that I thought could be complementary from the uh, from the British singers, which is what a kind of pitch perfection well, yeah, approach to yeah, things. I or? think yeah, I think that um, in England, I think it's such a tradition choral music that um, the people I found are in the business of mm -hmm. of, of of making music. Uh, so the the Talis scholars, for example, they turn up the day of the show. Um, usually, maybe the day before, and they have one rehearsal. Mm. Now, they've done these programs before. They're traveling all the time. It's not always the same 10 singers in the Talis Scholars. Um, but they appear together and they have they share a language with their conductor. Mm. And so it, it's really in their DNA. And for some of my young singers now, 
I feel like we're beginning to establish that, but they have to use different instincts mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, and those are instincts that I think we've grown together um, through our work at the university and in uh, the choral situations that I lead. So there we were. And I remember after the first take, I went and I had um, um, two wonderful um, producers from England who were there, who I'd worked with before, Nick Parker, I'd worked with with uh, John Elliott, uh, mm -hmm. and in other circumstances as well. So there it was, and they began, and I thought, that's, that's what I had thought it could sound like. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure, I really wasn't. And it was so beautiful that I... Um, I just felt fortunate to be standing in front of them, mm -hmm. really. I mean, it was that simple, and it happened. Um, I mean, really, there were really uh, moments of grace all through the recording. Mm -hmm. And then after we made the recording, I thought as soon as it was released, I, I didn't know then what the um, reaction of our public would be. Mm -hmm. I thought I knew. Again, it was really something I'd sort of, in a way, I don't know, wished for almost you know, that sort of idea of positive thinking mm -hmm. creates uh, an experience. I didn't know if that would happen. Um, and and it did. And actually, then the 4000 Winter Disc, um, which was released last year, but it's in this Juno Award cycle. In the cycle, and yes. also in the seasonal exactly. cycle. Exactly. So that was what, end of 2015 that e it was released? Yes, end of November, okay. I think, December even. Um, so consequently, um, well, the, the, the reviews were really wonderful mm -hmm. and, uh, and there it sat at number one on Amazon selling <laughs> and, and it, you know, it was an unknown product, mm -hmm. the Trinity choir. There was no such thing until I created it. Mm -hmm. And I really thought of that when I was in Trinity chapel here in Toronto, right? because I love the little chapel and we do concerts there. So 4,000 yeah. winter is the title yes. is... The repertoire, or well, or yeah, how, I'll, I'll tell, tell you how we came up with that yeah, actually. Title. Because to be honest, we were I was originally going to call it the Lamb because mm -hmm. I'd um, I'd known John Taverner, the British composer, before he passed away, and I wanted to record some of his works, mm -hmm. and um, so I was thinking of calling it the Lamb, and I was in um, Italy with some of my British friends uh, uh, performing, and I was talking about this disc and. I was going to call it the lamb, and this one girl said, the lamb is the name of the pub down my street. <laughs> she said, are you really sure you want to call it the lamb? Well, and it I would thought, be sacred yes, and secular exactly. if you did that. Exactly. Um, maybe get picked up by a restaurant food chain or something. But at any rate, I um, so I thought twice about it, and I started to reread the poetry. Mm -hmm. And since we had done, uh, on this disc, there are um, three settings of Adam Leigh Bound and maybe four. Certainly three. Uh, Matthew Martin, a young British composer. Matthew Larkin, young Canadian composer. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, the Boris Ort, famous carol setting. So I thought, well, maybe there's something here. So I read through the poetry again and again. And then because it was going to be a Christmas disc, mm -hmm. but I didn't want it to sound cliche in some way, Christmas carols, you mm -hmm. know the snow or something right yeah i decided not I, so then i i read through and i read about four thousand winter and i thought that's that seems right four thousand winter well so it's quoted in the adam lee bound and okay poem and it talks about um how christ lay in the okay. earth before he 
um, before he came uh-huh. to us. So I think that that's quite a beautiful image. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one that, um, regardless of where people are on their religious um, um, spectrum, right. I think that it's, a, again, it's quite a poetic image. Mm-hmm. And of course, it creates all sorts of different images for people in their minds, if they think of our very long Canadian winters, or even winters in other countries. So, mm-hmm. so it seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so how do you get to take ten, twelve Canadian singers, put them on a plane, take them off to England? Well, and, yeah. There's I mean, a, who's who's on the hook yeah. in terms of <laughs> well nece- necessary angels? Yes. There are necessary say. angels, and yeah. and um, that that actually that sort of trip. Um, it's a major project that we have and and because we're relatively new we don't have the same kind of um government support that other groups might have who i'm thinking of uh, les violons de roi in quebec Mm -hmm. who travel internationally all the time and much of that is is paid for by the quebec and canadian government Mm -hmm. um and we're talking then i mean i think they have this i think they have an office of at least 15 people working and that's about as many full-time orchestra members as they have, and they have a person for every orchestra member in the office working. So wow. that's a real, it's a business. Mm-hmm. And um, really we have one part-time. Yeah. Right. So it, what that means is that I spend a good amount of time finding people who are interested in supporting this kind of um, this kind of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we did receive some support from Ontario and Canada, which essentially uh, helped cover our actual touring. And then we had our, um, um, well, co-producers, that would be the Gabrielli Consort. We we were Mm -hmm. able to find venues uh, with them that were interested in having these concerts. And of course, venues, ticket sales never cover Mm -hmm. the cost of a concert. And for this sort of um, project, which is quite expensive, um, that was a very small part of it, mm-hmm. but it's it's that work together. So I mean, it it it, it takes a, quite a lot of effort and focus, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And we've been there now, I guess, two or three times. We've made three discs. Uh-huh. Uh, the second one has just been released. It's called The Tree of Life. Again, yes, uh, <laughs> potential arc <laughs> through many different musics. Yes, and and I and I. So do you do you. <clears throat> Do you, do you say okay? It's all four a four forty, or do you or well, do you actually travel with your? Yeah, we we do. We travel around time. the pitches. We travel. Yeah, of course. So um, that can be quite challenging because um, mm-hmm. Peter Phillips, who's uh, in Toronto with the Talis Scholars on March twenty fifth. Yeah. Um, he very often will transpose uh, work, say by Talis, up a third or fourth. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of scholarly evidence to support that, but there's also then views um, that uh, take us the opposite direction. We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a pretty good idea, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it's even when people are in very, very insistent about the pitch of Bach or Monteverdi, um, well, it depends where they were performing and composing the music. It depends mm-hmm. on the, the pitch of the organ at the church. It depends on uh, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so what kind of cruelty is that to individual performers who have so-called pitch, perfect yes. pitch? Well, if we can, we, we, we will get the additions um, 
transposed so that they're actually singing what's written in front of them. It does it does cause some distraction. <laughs> yeah. And um, some of the music, like the music of Arvo Pert, that's also very close to me, and it's music that mm. I listened to actually throughout my university years, and mm. um, and even when I would be on the road. Um, there's something very special about um, some of the pieces he writes. So I wrote to him when we were recording oh. um, his music because I had questions to ask. Oh, I had great. questions about about tempo markings. I had questions about um, 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 when he was uh, when we would we would make the journey from one section of the piece to the next. Mm -hmm. If he had a marking that I wasn't quite clear on. There were a few things I did. In fact, one of them I did, of course, is I listened to some of the recordings that were made. The Estonian Chamber Choir, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there was a recording where he had been present and the, the metronome markings were certainly not what he'd put into the music. So I was really interested to know if he'd had a change of heart. Or, and he said, actually, that he'd left that recording session because he was so unhappy with what was happening with the music. Wow. And I, I found that really interesting mm -hmm. to know... Um, and I think we've delivered um, recordings that, well, I know that he uh, has yeah. has approved of. Um, what I did do on the second disc, which which um, has just been released, this Treat of Life, is I I took his seven antiphons, not a very well known piece, mm -hmm. and I separated them into groups. And in the middle, I put some ancient music, hmm. and it's a really. Um, I often think that works by, by Taverner, um, by Pert, but even, um, say, in a way, by George Benjamin, who's more of an, uh, an opera yeah. writer, um, a composer. He, these are echoes of, of what we've heard in the past. Mm -hmm. I think there's a direct correlation that we can have an emotional engagement with the music mm -hmm. that... Um, that well, yes, can sort of, can bring us, can make us feel very present and at the same time bring us to a different place. Yeah, well, even the fact that so much of the early music that you uncover and rediscover yes. shares in common with modern repertoire yes. that you're hearing it for the first Absolutely, time. Absolutely, exactly. And you don't have this baggage of... Yes. of received interpretation exactly. for either of the two. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's challenging when we're in the, um, sometimes in modern concert houses, mm -hmm. but often in, um, in, in, operatic, in operatic productions mm -hmm. where um, the music is taken out of, out of the context of, of um, what could have been. Mm -hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's interesting to modernize these mm -hmm. productions, but often that comes at the relationship of the music to the theater. Mm -hmm. So orchestras are often separated mm -hmm. from the singers by a long distance. Yeah. Often singers aren't able to have direct communication then with the musicians and, and with the conductor. And some might argue that, well, Handel wasn't necessarily conducting, mm -hmm. but we know he was. Now, he was leading usually from the harpsichord, but there were periods in his life when he was ill. Right. And actually, if we go far back in the history of music, even into these um, um, Gregorian groups, we know that the first practice was uh, one singer, usually the leader, would be tapping the, the tempo on the shoulder of one of the singers in the group. Oh. 
Yeah. And so then, of course, later in music, like Luli, we know he had a big staff and he was banging it on the ground because he famously right. killed himself. Um, he, he injured himself and he got an infection in his leg and died from his staff that he was... Um, it's using. a dangerous yeah. phase of I, your career you know, you're entering here. I often, eh? say to the, I often say to the singers <laughs> and to the orchestra that my life is in your hands. Right? <laughs> so speaking of the relationship between the, the work and the, the space as, as being fundamental to reinterpretation, yes. puts me in mind of the Imaneo that you just did um, with the U of T yes. Opera School at yes. the Macmillan. yes. For uh, for listeners who didn't have the benefit of seeing it, the the whole thing was set on the stage at the Macmillan. Yes. Um, using the natural breaks in the the raw brick architecture yes. of the backstage yes. to define the playing areas, yes. and with what you were just saying, the orchestra set off to yes. the side, but on the same level, but off to the side, yes. and. You weren't beating time <laughs> with a with a large stick, no. but sometimes you were sitting, yes. sometimes you were engaged. Yes. So how how did that feel as a well I a, think as a kind of honoring of Handel's yes. intentions? Yes, I think that um, what we can recognize, I think, and I was I was very excited when when Sandra Horst, who's director of opera studies, approached me about the um, the idea that the opera area would present a Handel opera. That hadn't been done in a number of years since mm. Stephen Rawls was involved. And I thought, um, and, and in fact, it's the first uh, official collaboration between the historical performance area, which is new since I mm. came to the school, and the opera area. Imaneo uh, is not a very well-known Handel work. He wrote it late in his career. Um, he tried to then repair the work. He did secondary work on it uh, because it wasn't um, a very successful production. He had problems with some of the singers being ill. Mm -hmm. And, um, and well, what an audience will uh, recognize as they're listening to it is that there's, there are excerpts from Handel's Soul. There's excerpts from Handel's Messiah. Um, I it, think, keep, it keeps wanting to break out into if yes, I persist in yes, gazing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's quite, that's quite, um, interesting from an academic point of view just right. to hear where he was going and also the fact that um, the piece actually isn't isn't known for its uh, de capo arias there are fewer de capo arias in that piece than there are in many of Handel's operas it's also a shorter piece do you think they know how lucky they are to get a Tim Albury and an Adrian Butterfield right. conducting you know from yeah. the first violin yes. and all these resources thrown their way because once they get out of that environment, yes. um, you know, the sheep don't safely no. graze no. anywhere. There, no. you know, there's lots of people out there. I, all I think what was important in this is that uh, Tim and Adrian and I um, and Sandra, we are uh, absolutely committed to the journey of the student. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be taken for granted, not mm. well by everyone. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a little older now, so I'm a little more aware mm. of just how lucky I am to have the chance to work with these, the students and the musicians. Mm. Um, and I've, I've really had a constant um, flow of, uh, of work throughout my career. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem to 
slow down. I thought it would at one point because mm. countertenors, you know, some countertenors carried on. James Bowman carried on till he was 70. 61 yes. when you two yes. did that concert at Trinity right. St. Paul's yeah, that was in a great event. 2002. Yeah, a great, great event. And Purcell and Blow. Yeah, I think. that's well, Adrian Butterfield yes, was part was. of the band. Yes, he Going was. right back to that one He's, too. You right? know, I've worked with him for such a long time and his wife is uh, one of the great uh, flautists in the world. She's written a book on the broke flute. Mm-hmm. They're just great musicians, and I really enjoy the work I have with them. Um, yeah, but I, I wondered if maybe, you know, my career would sort of have a natural denouement in, in, mm. uh, as a countertenor, and, and opportunities would present mm. themselves in different ways. And actually, I'm finding now what's challenging is, is for my... I have to look at balancing when I'm conducting, and when, when I'm sing, singing, and when I'm teaching. Yeah, and it, because it is almost like three full time jobs. Yeah, when we worked with the orchestra, and the orchestra were were exceptional at the university. When we began, I was very clear with them that I'm not there uh, to represent myself as an orchestral conductor. Right. I I'm a c- conductor of this music, uh, but I'm here because I love the music and because I've I've dedicated much of my life to it, mm-hmm. and I love it, and so I invited them to ha- have an affair with Handel right. for about a month of their lives. And I knew at the end of the first rehearsal, I said to my colleague Adrian, I said, we have them, don't we? Mm. And he said, yes. And so now there are instrumentalists who have are buying Baroque instruments and asking for Baroque bows, mm. all because they've been... Well, they shared the joy that we find in this music. Mm. And There's a certain kind of collaborative oh, yeah. aspect oh, to yeah. it and the listening. Oh, and if the audience, involved. for the audience that were close to the orchestra, because part of the challenge of that production was that an, uh, the audience on one side would hear much more of the orchestra than the audience on the other side. And the middle right. seats were really the best seats, mm-hmm. because most balanced. Now, if people are interested in orchestral work, they could really have a bird's eye view. It was very intimate. Mm. And... It's so rewarding because those those musicians, they so often had just big smiles on their face. Mm. We were really, I really felt um, that we'd captured the essence of of the music. Mm. And, um, and to do that in a university setting is very exciting. Mm-hmm. So let's follow a little handle thread sure. here, okay? Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, I was n- noticing the extent to which in your in your own life as yes. a performer. I mean, Handel has, yeah. Handel has been really, really central, especially in an operatic yes. uh, context. Glyndebourne yes. was Handel's Theodora. That was my first operatic experience. And actually. then uh, Miller's Rod Linda. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And then your very first uh, American operatic yes. was it not, yeah, not it, to the biggest part in the particular no, opera but it no, was just my debut at, yes, uh, at the new york, new york. yeah sure yeah. yeah i remember when I, the, the first professional opera experience i had was at glyndebourne and mm-hmm. of course i'd heard of it but i uh, coming from canada i didn't realize it was really perhaps the most prestigious um, festival in in um, certainly in england but one in the world and then i came over I'd, I, I'd sung then, I think, at Rome Opera. I did a Caesar production where I played Ptolemyo and mm-hmm. Welsh National Opera. I did a few, but my first, yeah, my first production in Canada, I remember I was asked to be in a, in a few different operas in a few different um, houses. 
in North America. And I wasn't that excited about the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I remember my agent at the time, who's terrific, uh, Hart Murdoch, and Murdoch and Joanne Hart. They still live in Toronto. Wonderful, wonderful people. And, and I remember Anne said, well, if you don't do, you know, the little houses, I'm not sure you're going to be asked by the big houses. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's fair enough. I mean, she was almost always right. Except that time, because I didn't, I didn't take the smaller offers. And then this offer came in from the Met. Uh-huh. And, um, and I went back then a few, I went back two other times then mm-hmm. for that same production. And we also did the production in San Francisco. And um, it was an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, maybe I should have, I mean, I think I was um, uh, blissfully unaware mm-hmm. at the time. I went in, I just sang. Yeah. I stood up on stage, I sang. I did, I did have that moment a few seconds before where I thought, wow. Wait, wait a minute. To, I'm yeah, about to. I'm about to yeah. make this debut at the Met. You've got a healthy balance of stuff over the rest of the, the spring. Guys. I, well, I do. Looking I mean, at your yeah, schedule. Well, Bach is going to be very close to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's back. <laughs> In my right. life, which is always very challenging. I look forward to it. But yeah. it's music that shouldn't be underestimated, not only for the emotional and spiritual impact it can yeah. have, uh, but it's quite technically demanding. Mm. He holds no prisoners, yeah. and he keeps us humble. And uh, Handel, in, in the context of one of those, which is the, what, it'll be your 18th or 19th time back to Bethlehem oh, Bach yes. in May? yes. They're yes. 110th and yes. almost your 20th, not yes. quite yet. Yes. And it was Handel that led you to that. That's correct. Because Catherine Robin That's invited right. Greg to that production of the of Metin, Caesar. That's of, right. of Caesar. Yes, and that's exactly right. And Greg heard, well, there were three of us in that production, but right. he asked me then to come to his festival. Uh-huh. And... Um, I've been very fortunate. You have a little group of collaborators yes. who who seem to be back year after yes. year after year. Bill Sh- Bill Sharp. Yeah, is, Bill. Uh, I was just I was just playing um, Bill's singing. He Bill teaches at Peabody Conservatory, okay. and I was just playing him for a student of mine because I'm a great admirer of Bill's. Mm-hmm. Dan Lichty goes mm-hmm. every other season. Ben Butterfield's ben, there this Ben's coming my season. Best friend, and so yeah. when when Ben and Dan are there. I mean, it's really, it doesn't feel like work. Uh-huh. We have the nicest time together. They're just two of the and Agnes, greatest people. Uh, Agnes Zygovich will be back. Part of your U of T That's circle. That's correct. Yeah, she's in her doctorate program. I mm-hmm. met her at University of Toronto when she was completing her undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I've, uh, I perform with her on a, a semi-regular basis, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoy her. It's a beautiful voice. And she's mm-hmm. a, just a wonderful, wonderful musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, recently, um, Greg Fumfkelt uh, from Bethlehem also invited Isaiah Bell and mm-hmm. Ellen McAteer. So there's two, there are two other wonderful Canadian artists uh-huh. who are really making names for themselves and have, um, that he's, he's noticed mm-hmm. amongst a long list of singers that he hears. And now he's also inviting them on a regular basis. So I think mm-hmm. it's, um, we, we sometimes joke that the Canadians are, you know, having some kind of influence, at least some kind of influence in the United States at a time mm-hmm. when they could probably use a lot more of our influence yeah. from this side of the some border. Canadian bottled water. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of uh, 
the Bethlehem Bach Choir, uh, one of the more recent uh, discs on your list yes. is uh, Anna Lecta oh, Bethlehem yes. Bach Choir with uh, doing the Vivaldi That's right, Gloria. the Vivaldi Gloria, yes. 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 So these collaborations go in, in both well, directions. Well, they do. I mean, in, in that case, um, of course, disc companies in general are having difficulties. And American companies um, seem to be having a significant amount of, uh, of difficulty. I've been fortunate because Sony have been with me now for a number of years, mm-hmm. and uh, both Sony in Canada, but internationally. And here in, in Canada, we have um, some just, they're great people working, and they appreciate classical music, which otherwise seems to have been sort of put to the side mm-hmm. uh, internationally. Uh, in the United States, it's, a, it's an ongoing problem. Um, and in fact, in the meetings I have with Sony, I'm going to the, the Juno, um, right. the Juno's in next week. Ottawa next yes. week. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the head of the, um, marketing, Simon Rayner, uh, we met and he'd been meeting with Dolly Parton and, um, they called the priests. It's mm-hmm. a crossover group. And then there was another one where I just thought, how on earth am I making my way into his calendar? Mm. But he's, he's deeply affected by the work that we're doing, which is, which is really uh, encouraging. Um, I spoke with Greg about Analecta because I think it's one of the most important Canadian companies. And, mm-hmm. and um, Mario Labe uh, is, is a very, um, I think he's a visionary actually in terms of the repertoire that he presents on that label. And so he was interested in in having them as a client. And um, mm. and what's interesting about Bethlehem Bachweyer is it, it is very much a different sort of animal than mm. we'd find in England with the smaller um, early music ensembles. The Bethlehem Bachweyer is really in that great tradition that Robert Shaw had with the Atlanta Symphony, these sort of big, big American mm. uh, choruses. And that's what's so um, um, inspiring about it is that there's a sense of um, of, of worship, but also of community again. And of um, there's an earnest quality to what they do. Mm-hmm. And they're so committed to it. Mm-hmm. And it's quite moving, as you know, yeah. to hear a hundred plus yeah. singing these Bach and Tata. Sometimes three generations yes. of the same yes. family on, on it's stage really together. It's it really is. moving. And, and Greg is. Uh, is, is, um, mm-hmm. is an exceptional, exceptional musician mm-hmm. and an exceptional human being. Yeah, it's uh, there are some there are some places on the planet where where you would say if you're going to be in X, oh, yes. then take in the festival. Yes. This is the obverse of that. This yes. is it's it's worth. It's in worth the Canadian it. colloquialism. It's yes. worth the drive to Acton. It, really, <laughs> <laughs> it really is. If you know what I mean. I it's do. A, yeah, I just spoke with a, an agent in New York, and they're making a special trip to Bethlehem. Uh, to, to experience the festival. Yeah. And there is a, uh, yeah. There's something to it. I there mean, really is. Uh, first ever North American performance of the B minor, the B minor yes. mass. Yes, yes. It's, it's quite a history. It and, is. And, and to be part of it, you do feel that you're a part of history. You really do. Yeah. I was there on a tour for their 100th anniversary 10 years ago. And we, mm. were, we sang at the BBC Proms. We sang at King's College at the yeah. Edinburgh Festival. It was a, a wonderful um, it was. Uh, I thought it really recognized their role in in this music mm-hmm. in North America, and um, 
Yeah. A couple of other little things. Uh, I noticed you've got some, right at the end of your calendar, you're doing Carmina Burana with the TSO. Yeah, great, great. That's a bit out of the box, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I I have to tell you that... Again, you know, one of one of maybe one of my faults is the fact that I really do try and treat be transparent, you know, because I'm old enough now if I start to I think if I start to make up things, I'm going to forget what they are. So I just try and be (laughs) I try and be uh, the I think maybe that that role could be sung by one tenor that I know, a fellow named Stanford Olson. He's an American tenor. I saw him the first time I sang with the Philadelphia Orchestra with Charles Dutois at the Saratoga Festival. We we did a Bernstein piece and then we did Carmina. And I had only been booked for the Bernstein. And I thought, well, that's strange because I can do the roasting swan. And they probably would have saved quite a lot of money if they had me just double, double up. And this fellow sang it and he was just magnificent because he could manage in his full voice to uh, really hit those notes with great passion. Mm -hmm. But that's exceptional. And when they can't find Stanford Olson, Mm -hmm. I usually get a call. (laughs) And so I've been lucky because I've been anywhere from the Scottish uh, National Orchestra. I went to uh, the second time I sang the piece. Well, that's not true. The second time I sang it with Peter Ungen was there. I Mm -hmm. sang it first with him with the Toronto Symphony. Okay. And I wasn't sure if he liked what I was doing. I know I knew we got on really well, and he's a he's a fantastic musician, and and really a, a, a charismatic leader. Um, so I didn't know. I thought maybe he was just being polite because uh, yeah, I I do what I do in that piece, and I have right. a specific way I do it. But sure enough, then he brought me to Scotland, and then he brought me back to do it. Oh, good. And and part of that was, you know, frankly because um. There was a possibility I, I could have done Messiah in the season, but I had another booking and they were looking for something for me. Mm-hmm. And that's, I really appreciate that the Toronto Symphony and I have a good relationship. And mm-hmm. so they they usually look every season or every other season to bring me in. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that introduces me to a very different audience. Yes. And absolutely. we have, I think there are four of four nights with the Toronto Symphony in June. They're all sold out, I think, mm-hmm. because it's such a popular piece. Sure. And I only sing for a minute and 40 seconds, <laughs> actually. That's good. Yeah, you can time. <laughs> On a four-hour call, that's okay. You can time okay. the introduction. <laughs> the introduction and the play out, I do a minute and 40 seconds of singing. That's funny. So it is quite funny because I can really go and have a good dinner, Absolutely. maybe even have a, a, a part Roasted of a... swan if you well, wanted exactly. to. Well, <laughs> exactly. And then there I am, and I can I can just be part of what's yeah. happening. And and I uh, one time I did it was with Russell Braun and Aaron Wall, and they were just incredible. Uh-huh. I still got a good review. But <laughs> Russell wouldn't let me live down the fact I got mentioned in the review for my minute forty seconds. And I think we've got Phil Addis and Aline Coutin this time. So I think I noticed uh, Saint John. Saint somewhere. John Passion in Halifax with Paul Halley. Uh huh. Yeah, and I noticed. Wonderful. I noticed a little band of singers who you seem to be, Well, so I wouldn't say traveling with, no. but Ellen McAteer you mentioned and, yes. and Agnes, and then a couple yes. of other people who seem to be cropping up when you go to Peterborough. Oh, uh, yes, I'm going to do a Mozart Requiem. Yeah, he's a terrific singer. Uh-huh. Yeah, terrific Toronto tenor, wonderful uh-huh. singer. Um what I tend to do, if, if conductors ask me, I'll give them a list of oh, between okay. five and ten singers. So and that's I say, how this is what I re- would recommend. Okay. But then they choose. Uh, that yeah. way I don't have to feel um, yeah. liable. Yeah. I mean, having said that, 
um, if someone asks me for a tenor, I, 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 I have a f- couple of names. If they want someone from outside of the country, right. Charles Daniels is almost first on my list right. for anything that's early. He's just such a great, great artist. Mm. Um, but yes, we have in Canada uh, these singers you've mentioned, Agnes and uh, and um, uh, Ellen, and a really fine young uh, soprano out in Halifax named Janelle, who's a, a Canadian-Belgian girl, beautiful singer. Mm-hmm. She'll be singing in Halifax with me. There's, I think that... Um, it's important to introduce these young singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, uh, what I really think is healthy, and maybe that's because I'm one of those singers who isn't as young, um, I think it's really interesting to have a mix. Mm-hmm. So to have someone like Benjamin Butterfield there with all of his experience, and he's such an ardent singer, mm-hmm. and then perhaps to have a younger soprano or a younger bass. Mm-hmm. Or similarly, I might do a show with Daniel Lichty, who's one of my favorite singers of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, we're there not only to share the performance, uh, but to share our experiences mm. now with these young singers. Yeah, fellows and that's, mentors. That's how I remember. I remember my first yeah. Matthew Passion with Gary Relier yeah. and John Relier. I remember these things right. so clearly. And speaking of passions, uh, the Good Friday and then in May, the, yes. the St. Mark. That's right passion that you're going to oh, be yeah that's going to be a, that's going to be a that's a major challenge Bach, is it yeah Bach took two of the most difficult alto arias he took the the alto aria from uh, cantata 54 widerstehe doch besunde mm-hmm. and he set it up a, a third fortunately mm-hmm. it's a very difficult thing and then he took the aria from the trauer ode uh, cantata 198 Las Fürsten. Mm-hmm. And he again reset the text. So both of those arias appear in the St. Mark Passion, and they're very, very challenging. Ah. So, And I, I believe that John Abiger has actually reconstructed part of the piece. This is what I hear. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they mentioned the name of... Uh, oh, I have to look it up. Um, uh, Simon Hayes? Yes. Is, yes. Was the individual who yes who did yeah. the reconstruction right. of the piece? So this is yes. their second festival, Correct. and the very thing you're talking about—the combination of yes. experienced yes. performers and young—that's right—singers and that that mix. Of, I think it's actually, I do. Of course, I think you know, young artists are our future. But actually, I think, um, in this in the future of this process, I think it actually. Has um, there's a lot to carry forward here, mm. the the collaboration between between more experienced and less experienced artists, mm. um, and I've enjoyed. That's one of the reasons I, you've mentioned Peterborough. I go to Peterborough because the conductor there, Sid Burrell, mm. is very committed to the idea of of my bringing students of mine. I brought Joel Allison, who's who sang the title who role sang in Imaneo. In, in Imaneo, I mean, yeah. he's a spectacular singer, yeah. and there he was standing beside me to sing Messiah. Mm-hmm. And I recall, and he, I think he'd admit it, that he stood up on stage and we work a lot on alignment. It's one of the first things we work on as singers. And I saw him and out of the, I was just sitting just, you know, a few feet away from him. I saw him realigning himself, getting ready to sing. Mm-hmm. And, and then he just was magnificent in the mm-hmm. role. I mean, he's got a great future ahead of him. I find it more interesting from my vantage point to, to be involved as a conductor, mm-hmm. as a soloist, uh, in the recording studio, uh, in an opera house, I find all of that very interesting, and I, 
I, um, I could have chosen a career where I would simply do five operas a year, mm. be away about 10 months and probably make a lot more money. Mm. But I, um, I enjoy the interaction I have with the students. Mm. I enjoy the interaction I have with my colleagues. And I think there's something in the process that can be really sacred, mm. which is too often ignored, um, nowadays because, uh, well, because uh, our life is so full of noise. And commoditized yes, noise. Yes, yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. And, um, and I think sometimes there has to be a time when we also step forward with our shared values. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, what we see, especially what we've seen in the last few months where people are either targeted for how they worship or for the countries they come from, I think that it can be frightening um, to live in a time like this. And I think sometimes I think uh, when I speak to the students about it, there's a, a sense of hopelessness that they have because they feel that it's all these decisions are being made and there's nothing we can do. And what I think we have to do then is step forward with our shared values mm. and with our um, belief in diversity and in, in the love that we share with other people, with other humans. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that love eventually will conquer the fear that feeds so much of, of, of this noise and this distraction that, mm. that we experience. On a toxic daily basis. It is. Yeah. It's very much that. And, um, and um, I think sharing that, the hope of, um, of what tomorrow can bring is very important, especially, mm -hmm. especially now. Can't think of a better note to leave it on than that. Thank, thank you, so, you so, much. so much. Thank you very you much. Pleasure. And thank you for listening. We'll be with you again soon. Bye-bye.